All right, good morning. Uh, my name is Dwayne. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today is September the 23rd, and we are continuing to work our way through the book of Acts. We wrapped up uh, chapter number 19 yesterday, and of course, chapter number 19, Paul is in Ephesus uh, ministering uh, to to that city. He meets the sons of Sceva there, so we have a little bit of a demonic possession. Then, of course, as was his habit, uh, a nice riot broke out <laughs> in Ephesus when Demetrius the silversmith uh, felt that their trade was being threatened, and of course it was. And, uh, of course, he appealed to the worship of the great goddess Diana of the Ephesians, um, and then, of course, the town clerk rushed forward and said, hey, you know, we're going to get in trouble with the Roman authorities if you guys don't uh, don't break this up. So uh, that wrapped up uh, chapter number 19. And then today we break into uh, chapter number, number 20. Chapter number 20. Uh, let's see, verse number one, chapter number 20. And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them, departed for to go into Macedonia. Uh, and when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. I pointed out the other day in our study that um, while the epistle, the prison epistles were written while Paul was in prison, uh, the other letters of Paul were written during his travels in the book of Acts. Um, and again, I'm finding that that's probably a good uh, delineator uh, between when Paul stopped preaching the kingdom gospel and preached exclusively the grace gospel because you don't see that in the prison epistles. You don't see the kingdom gospel at all in the prison epistles, but you do see them as you're um, reading the other epistles, Galatians, Ephesians, 1 Corinthians. And the reason is because he's in the book of Acts. Um, so uh, just pretty interesting. It's from Macedonia that Paul wrote his epistle to the Romans. Uh, he also wrote 2 Corinthians once he arrived in Greece. And then notice in verse number three, and there abode three months, <clears throat> and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, that just <laughs> that just seems to never left Paul. The Jews just really struggled with Paul. And of course, Paul was preaching the, the kingdom gospel was offensive to them enough. Um, then the grace gospel um, was even more offensive. Uh, the kingdom gospel uh, accused them of rejecting their king and their kingdom. The grace gospel um, said God turned around and went to the Gentiles. Um, now, some would say God turned around and gave the kingdom to the Gentiles. That's not true. I mean, the kingdom was never given, never will be given to the Gentiles. Um, but the grace gospel was given to the Gentiles, and they could obtain it by not keeping the works of the law which they saw as an insult to the law of Moses. Um, so, again, he, he struggled with these unbelieving Jews quite a bit. Now, I've read, I just read a, a guy yesterday, uh, forget his name, but 
he kind of made it sound like, and again, when we read the book of Acts, when it says Jews, we just assume all Jews. You know, all them Jews rejected Jesus. No, I mean, there were kingdom believers. There were those. Remember we talked about the four churches uh, that are mentioned in Scripture, the church in the wilderness, the kingdom church, the grace church, and the tribulation church. There were members of that kingdom church, and they're, I don't, I don't believe they're the ones that were turning against Paul. It was the unbelieving Jews that had rejected both the kingdom and the grace gospel that were turning against um, the apostle. Um, checking some volume here. There you go. Um, and notice when he was about to sail, in, sail, sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, we're going to get a list of guys here, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, and Aristarchus, and Segundus, uh, and Gaius, or Gaius of Derby and Timotheus, and of Asia. I've seen this pronounced Tachicus, and I've seen it pronounced Tychicus, and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi, Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days where we abode an additional seven days. So unbelieving Jews were still trouble, were still stirring up trouble against Paul. Now notice that Luke, and bear in mind Luke is the writer of the book of Acts, he mentions the Feast of Unleavened Bread here. Um. I found in all my studies that the apostles never, ever uh, stopped to worship at the temple. Um, they continued to keep um, temple worship. Uh, they continued to keep sacrifices. Because, um, again, uh, the twelve um, were still very much under the law. The kingdom gospel was still very much under the law, um, so they continued worship in the temple. Now, Paul, um, he made his way back, and, you know, he tried to get back on his way to Antioch the last time, and he came through and made sacrifice. And now again, Luke mentions the Feast of Unleavened Bread here. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread lasted seven days, and it commemorated Israel's flight from Egypt. Uh, you remember in Exodus 12... Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Um, let me get the right translation there. It just doesn't sound right, does it? Uh, <coughs> we shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for in this selfsame day I brought your armies up out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. And, of course, in the first month of the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 1 and 20th day of the month at even. In seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. Ye shall eat nothing leavened. In all of your habitations ye shall eat unleavened bread. So this was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It lasted for uh, seven days. Uh, it spoke of the fact that the Israelites had no time to put leaven in their bread before their hasty departure 
from Egypt. They didn't even have time for it to rise. They were in such a hurry to get out. Um, this kind of brought me into the feast, uh, thinking about those. And I've done studies on these feasts uh, many times, uh, both at the church level and at the, at the Bible college. Um, and, of course, um, not always taught them correctly, but uh, there were basically two sets of feasts. There were the spring feasts and there were the fall feast of Israel. Uh, the spring feasts consisted of Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. Um, these were the feasts. I've got some more notes down here. I'll, I'll show them. I'll get to them. Uh, all of these feasts were fulfilled at Christ's first coming. Uh, Passover uh, was uh, the crucifixion. Uh, unleavened bread uh, was when he was buried. First fruits was the resurrection. And Pentecost was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then you have the fall feasts. Uh, the fall feasts consisted of trumpets, Feast of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And these will be fulfilled at his second coming. And when you look at the, the feasts, and bear in mind, these feasts have everything to do, to do with the nation of Israel, uh, not the body of Christ. Of course, the Feast of Trumpets, that's the one I think the church latches onto pretty hard. But, you know, it the, the trumpet, if you remember, was always the sound of assembly. It was the sound of war. Uh, it was the sound of moving forward. Uh, and some, it's, it's the sound of regathering or war. Um, some people will tie it with the rapture um, as well. I'm, I'm going down that road. I'm not ready to get into all that right now. But, um, but first and foremost, trumpets has to do with the nation of Israel. Uh, now, if the church is raptured out and it, at the same time, it's speaking of the regathering or prepare for war as they go into atonement, which is judgment, tribulation. Um, so be it, but I still haven't went down that journey uh, yet. Uh, and then Tabernacles speaks of the millennium, when God is with man. Uh, so these will be fulfilled at his second coming. Um, I have a few charts here that show some of this. Uh, I pulled this one off the other day. Uh, see the the feast of Passover um, speaks of fulfilled in by Christ on the um, on the fourteenth day of Nisan, and notice how close these are: fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth, and then fifty days later, um, you have Pentecost. Um, so these are were fulfilled by Christ <clears throat> during his first coming, uh, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, and then the sending of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times people will confuse unleavened bread and first fruits with Passover. Um, but um, yeah, actually they're different, but they occur within days of each other. Um, and it's said that the church age is the gap in between. 
uh, where you and I are right now. Uh, again, <clears throat> all of these at Christ's first coming, <clears throat> excuse me, and all these will be at his second coming, when there will be um, the trumpets, the atonement, and the tabernacles. You know, the, the call for war, the return, the rapture here. And again, I'm not going to tie a lot in the rapture because I've already learned uh, the church was a mystery hidden. So none of this in the Old Testament spoke about the rapture. Um, but it definitely was the call to war, the regathering as we move into the, to the time of Daniel's 70th week judgment where atonement is taking place. Again, yeah, like Scott said, you have to separate mystery from prophecy. Uh, when you start forcing prophecy into, into mystery or mystery into prophecy, you're going to end up with a watered-down dispensationalism like we have today in probably 99% of our churches. Um, so these will be fulfilled at his second coming. So you have the spring feast, fall feast. Uh, this is another chart that I pulled up. Um, you know, basically the same thing. It, it shows, um, you know, the Feast of Passover. Um, you know, this right here is, is unleavened bread, uh, then first fruits, resurrection, Pentecost. And then they also show the church here in the middle, um, Israel scattered, of course, the fall, the decline of Israel after the rejection of their Messiah. And then, of course, they look to the <clears throat> to the fall feast here and Israel's regathering, again, that call to war, a, a restoration, the, the atonement, the tribulation period, and then God dwelling with man, feast of booze or tabernacles here, a thousand years. So uh, <clears throat> anyway, another chart there as well. And maybe uh, <clears throat> I need to drink something. Uh, Again, once I'm, when you study through this, you just realize how much more you need to study, how much you've assumed, how much you've been taught that, again, you, <clears throat> you know, I'm humored when I see people go back and teach the Song of Solomon, and it's all about the church. You know, how could the Song of Solomon have anything to do with the church, the body of Christ? The Song of Solomon is about the nation of Israel. And you know what? The bride of Christ is the nation of Israel. <laughs> okay, It is not the body of Christ. Um, how can you put the church? You cannot put the church in, in prophecy. You have to keep the mystery and the prophecy separated. If you don't, if you, get, if you mash them together, you're going to end up with the mess that we have today. So... Um, it is said that the body of Christ lives in the gap, summer, if you will. Um, where we get into trouble today in the church is that we try to tie these feasts to us. We try to make these feasts all about us. Well, like the old worship song says, it's not all about you. Uh, when in reality, they are all part of the prophetic program for Israel. And that's the thing that we have to... Um, really remember the mystery and the prophetic program are not the same. Um, now there can be similarities, but understand those similarities um, are not glaring because it was hidden 
no one saw it. It wasn't there until it was revealed to Paul. So no one today is required to keep the feast days uh, because we have the Lord himself and not just the shadow of him in the feast. Um, however, they should be studied, I believe, with great interest, and I need to delve back into them now that I understand there's a difference between um, mystery and prophecy. And again, not try to force what I've been taught into the text. And that's what we do. Come on. I mean, we, we were given a filter, our worldview, our biblical worldview. It was all based on, on what we were told. And, um, and again, you see what you want to see. Um, I think it was Chuck Swindoll said, life is 99% perspective and only 1% reality. Um, I mean, we see what we want to see based upon what we were told to see. Um, so I do believe that I need to go through and study again. Um, they are Israel's prophetic prophetic program, past and future. Notice I didn't say present, <laughs> uh, because the feast <clears throat> really don't speak of the present, uh, because there wasn't supposed to be a present. Um, I was reading something. There is a gap there um, between the fall and the spring feast. Of course, there's, there's a natural gap there. Um, but, uh, and they speak of that as, um, you know, that undisclosed period when, um, Daniel's 70th week starts up again, that period between there and when the church is moved. But I don't know, I'm not prepared to speak on that again. I'm not going to assert the church into anything in the Old Testament. If you do that, you're going to get in trouble. Uh, notice Paul's traveling companions. Uh, the ones that we are most familiar with is Tychicus. He's mentioned in 621, my beloved and faithful minister in the Lord. Uh, he's mentioned in Colossians 4.7, uh, he will declare unto you who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister. He's mentioned in 2 Timothy 4.12 and Tychicus, I have left, sent to Ephesus. And in Titus 3.12, uh, he, Artemis, um, I shall send Artemis unto you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me, uh, for I have determined uh, there to winter. So, And then Trophimus, we remember Trophimus. Um, they had been before with him in the city, Trophimus, and Ephesian, so he picked up Trophimus. And bear in mind, all these guys he picked up on his journeys. I mean, if you, if you look, at, look at the text here, I mean, Sopater from Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus. I mean, that could have been first missionary journey, second missionary journey, uh, Gaius or Gaius of Derby. I mean, um, which was near Lystra and Timotheus, um, Antichicus and Trophimus of Asia. So all of these uh, men that were serving with him uh, came alongside of him during his journeys. And these went ahead of Paul, uh, and they were going to meet up in Troas. And when we look at it, I mean, it even gives the timeline. Um, they came, he sent them unto Troas in five days, and then they abode there another seven days. So he came unto them to Troas in five days, and they abode there yet another 
seven days, so that's enough time for Paul to start some trouble for sure. Uh, and then in verse 7, and upon the first day of the week, this is interesting, uh, and I probably won't get too deep into this, but when we think of the first day of the week, we just automatically say, wow, this is Sunday. Um, no, uh, context is key here. Uh, verse out of context is a pretext. Um, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Uh, now bear in mind that we are in the midst of the Feast of Passover. Okay, uh, Passover, just like we saw on our chart, was the 14th of Nisan, and Leavened Bread was the 15th of Nisan. Um, first Fruits was the 16th of Nisan, and here we are. And 50 days later was Pentecost. So the phrase, first day of the week, is speaking of the first of the seven Sabbaths that had to take place until Pentecost. So there were seven Sabbaths after first fruits before Pentecost was to take place. Um, in Leviticus 23, you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, even seven Sabbaths, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. So ye shall, ye shall count from the morrow after the Sabbath. So you shall count from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf, the wave offering. Um, so I guess if you counted uh, from the day after if from if you from tomorrow after the Sabbath, so the day after the Sabbath would be Sunday, which is the first day of the week. But bear in mind the Jews aren't counting Sundays; they're counting Sabbaths. Uh, so Paul, the night before he was to head out for Jerusalem, he preached until midnight. I've never preached till midnight. I preached a long time, and there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man by the name of Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, <laughs> he sunk down and was sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Uh, well, old brother Eutychus was sleeping in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, now, there is some dispute here as to whether or not Eutychus actually died. Um, and I don't think it's to minimize... <clears throat> what Paul was doing here, but some have said that he was taken up dead literally means they thought he was dead. Uh, because in the next verse, Paul says, for his life is in him. Um, so, you know, some would say he wasn't really dead because Paul acknowledged that he was alive. He was just knocked out or something. Um, I don't know if I go along with that. Um, you know, anybody, of course, wants to minimize the miraculous is going to say that. Uh, and some guys that think that, you know, Paul is completely in the grace gospel now will say that Paul didn't have the ability at this point to do miracles, so they'll try to spin it that way. But I, I think the guy was dead. And Paul, I mean, why did Paul fall on him? and embrace him, um, you know, sounds very similar 
uh, to what uh, what Peter did um, with uh, who was it Tabitha? I can't I can't remember, but did the same thing. Either way, I like what Albert Barnes says. He says the late hour of the night and the length of the services were the excuse. But though the thing is often done now, yet how seldom is a sleeper in a church furnished with an excuse for it. No practice is more shameful, disrespectful, and abominable than that so common of sleeping in the house of God. I'm with Albert there. (laughs) Anyway, God bless you guys. Hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow morning. We'll pick up in verse number 11. Good to see you both. Hope you have a great day. Um, I I just see Mac and Scott. God bless you guys both. And uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow. God bless. Thank you.